Hey, Rich Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Well, I'm telling you, man, they did a tremendous job. I want to give a shout out also to Matthew Rivera, who put that together. Come on, man. That was such a great job. And uh, you guys made that year, this last year, incredible. So many things that we were able to do and accomplish and so many lives that got touched and changed as a result of this church and so many activities that we do. But we give all the praise to Jesus. I said we give all the praise to the Lord. And so we're, we're excited. We're looking forward to 2023. Happy New Year. In fact, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say you're in the right place at the right time right now. I do believe that today. I don't believe it's a coincidence you're here in 2023. And I think you made the best decision, uh, the first thing, first day of the year to come to church. That's the best decision you made so far. And I believe it's going to really be something that uh, the Lord will help you and minister to you this morning. And you'll leave here different than you came. We had some newlyweds here on uh, our 9 o'clock service. They just got married Friday night. They were here this morning. Richie and Evangelina were here. I go, wow. I didn't expect to see them. I said, I thought you'd go be on a honeymoon already. They go, well, we're going on a honeymoon, I guess, tomorrow or something. So they wanted to come to church first. I said, that's all right. That's what you want to do. And I know other couples wouldn't do that. But anyway, they, they were here. And we're going to have a few more weddings uh, here in January. So, amen, get married, uh, find somebody, fall in love, and get married. That's the way to do it, right? Uh, we're, we're on a new series this month. And uh, I'm going to talk about this series. Uh, A few months ago, I just kind of want to remind you, a few months ago, we did a series called Timeless. And in that series, we talked about certain values, actually personal values or virtues or attributes that have no expiration date. And we talked about times change, but values don't. And we talked about values such as responsibility, trust, and purity. Uh, But this morning, I'm going to talk about our church's values and what we value as the church and what we value as a whole. And I believe it's going to really help us as we start the year. But before I do that, before I begin to minister, I'm just going to open with a prayer this morning and ask the Holy Spirit to be with us today as we go over these values. So, Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. I thank you for every person that's in this building. I pray the word of God would minister to their lives, wherever they're at spiritually, wherever state of mind they're at today, wherever they're at, God, in life, I pray that you'll speak to them. I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that I declare your word and the people would hear the voice behind the voice. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. So as we start this new series, we are calling this series, We Are Reach. And we're talking about the values of our church. And so I want to kind of give you in a nutshell what we're trying to do. In a nutshell, values are principles that undergird and influences and clarity that the church does and how it does it. And so what these values do is they provide boundaries, parameters around the mission of our church, the leadership, the ministry philosophy, 
the priorities and the strategies. So the question may be, uh, what, what are the values or what, what defines values? What defines values is who we are, uh, what, uh, what's really important to us, what's non-negotiable, what identifies us. So I want to tell you that today. I'm going to share our values. We're going to go through it throughout the, the month here because we're going to take each value and we want you to understand what our values are and why they're so important. Now, I want to just say to you, culture is different than values. Every church has a culture. Uh, a culture has to do with behavior. It's what you see and what you hear and feel when you first come to this church. You'll pretty, you'll pretty much get uh, the gist of the culture. Is it a friendly church? Is it a welcoming church? Uh, what kind of church is it? Is it vibrant? You can tell the culture of the church by the worship style, the music. If you're here for the first time, you could already tell we, we play a little bit more modern music. It's a little bit more uppity, and you can tell that already. Uh, you can tell by the nature of the sermon, uh, the way the members interact. Are they loving? Are they caring? And then you can also tell the culture by the signage or the interior of the building. And these behavioral uh, artifacts are the culture of the church. Uh, if I can describe it, the church culture is like an apple right here, like my hand. This apple looks really delicious, to be honest with you. And so uh, you could see the apple here. The apple... The peeling of the apple or the outside of the apple is what, what you can observe. That's outer layer is what we would call the culture. You can tell the culture of the church by the outer layer. The church's values are the beliefs that the church actually live out. They are the flesh of the, of the apple. That's what they call the inside of this apple. They call it the flesh or the meat of the apple. And so if the church values evangelism, then the church would be a people, the people in the congregation would invite people, would pray with people, would witness and share the gospel if that is a value in the church. So again, the cultural apple analogy is the peel of the apple is the culture and the inside is the value. Now, most of the time when you go to the market, you can tell a good apple from a bad apple. And I should have probably had a bad apple up here. Probably we should have showed you because when you go to the market, most of you are not going to get the one that's dented and has brown spots. You can tell that's a bad apple. If they're soft, if they, if they have all these dents around them, you say, man, that's, it's been abused. You say, that's a bad apple. But when you get an apple that's shiny like this one, and you get an apple that... Uh, you know, look at the texture in it is pretty solid. You could tell that that's a good apple. And then you can really tell how good it is is when you take a bite. I'm not going to take a bite. But when you take a bite, the texture and the crisp of that apple, the flavor, tells you how good it is. Well, that is the values of our church. When you bite into it, when you get involved in it, you'll find that the values are so important. It's what we do and how we do it. Now, values are different than doctrinal beliefs. 
We have doctrinal beliefs. We can go through all of that, but that we're not going to do that today. Talk about the, the scriptures of God, how they are inspired by the Lord. We can talk about the Trinity, the virgin births, the, the plan of redemption, all of that. We're not talking about doctrinal values, but we're talking about is what the church values and what they put as the priority. And so uh, a number of months ago, I would believe, I believe it was down in May and in June where the pastoral team sat down, along with some leaders, we sat down and uh, we, we spent hours and time uh, going over our values. What is our church values? Now, now a lot of churches can say, I, we're good at that and we're good at this, but I'm going to tell you, we, you could be like one of those guys, jack of all trades, master of none. And so, yeah, church, you know, we, we, we value a lot of things, but what does our church actually do? What are they good at? And so we begin to narrow it down, and we narrow it down to seven values. And I'm going to go through, uh, through each one of them, but I'm not in detail because that's going to be every, every week you're going to hear a message on each value. So I'm briefly going to go through our values, and then I'm going to talk about the value that I want to talk about today. And so number one, our first value is we reach out. The Great Commission is our mission. Basically, to reach, to restore, and release people to fulfill God's purpose in them. That is our first value, is that we're reaching out to people. The second value is what we call define and align. And we'll get real detailed in that when we start talking about it in the next few weeks. And what define and align means is we're in communication and collaboration together as the team, we interact with each other and we define and align what we're doing. The third one is grace and truth. We believe in giving people grace, but we also believe in telling people the truth. Truth sets people free. And so we, don't, we believe in grace, but we don't water it down when we don't tell people the truth. You need to hear, you need to have grace, but you also need to have truth. Uh, the fourth one is we make room and what that means is we give each worker, we, we're concerned about the worker, those that are serving in our church, and we make room for them to stay healthy, spiritually, physically, mentally, and so we make room for that. And then uh, the fifth one is what we call life on life. We believe discipleship uh, is imparting your life into someone else, being the example for others to follow. That is life on life. And the sixth one is what we call 360. I love it, 360. It's honoring up, down, and all around. We just don't honor the people in high position, but we honor people that are below us, and we honor people that are on the side of us. We honor up, down, and all around. And then the third one, or the seventh one, is what we call change is my friend, or change is our friend. And I'm going to have my son come up, and he's going to kind of give us, define it as we get into this message this morning. So I want my son, Pastor Omar Jr., come on up here. Here he is. So change, all right, thank you. So change is our friend. How many like change? Oh, I got a couple of hands. All right. I like change. I like change too. Um, even if it hurts sometimes, uh, you, you just have to embrace it. Um, but we're going to define change as our friend. Our faith, as we, as we evaluate here at Reach Paramount, our faith is activated as we embrace change and innovation 
Every season and challenge is an opportunity for problems to become possibilities. So as, we, as we're looking at what, what we value at our church, um, Changes Our Friend pretty much came really quickly. It's something that's already, uh, it's, it's kind of um, integrated into our culture, into our, who we are as a church. And so it's probably the, the fastest one that we went into. Um, but I, I love change because it brings about something new. Something has to shift in order for something new to come forth. Um, but the thing about change is there is tension, Right. There's tension in that, like, ooh, that the shifting, the friction of something coming in, just like a, just, I'm just thinking about it now, just like a volcano. There has to be some kind of um, eruption for something new to, to spring forth. Um, so the core mission of our church has always remained the same, right? We went over it, reach, restore, release. Discipleship, reaching the lost, disciple them, building up their faith, and then releasing um, into their God-given um, calling, while that's been the same, we, you know, before we used to say wind, build, sand, and now it's reach, restore, release. That hasn't changed, but um, how we do church has changed. And, and that's not a bad thing. We need to, there's, there's better ways to do things. Um, you know, we, we were facing this way when we first got in this building, and we were growing, and we needed to expand. So we knocked down this wall, and uh, we called that the cave. And so we, we knocked it down. It was, it was a pretty incredible dynamic service um, in and of itself. But Sometimes we gotta gotta look at things. Are are we doing with are, with what we're doing now? Is it actually efficient? Is it is it the best that we can do? And so sometimes we gotta think about change. Um, you know, we looked at our services, um, the order in which we we do it. And honestly, there was a time that we just had service. There was really um, not much planning as far as like production um, and you know having teams in order. There was there wasn't much of that going on. It was I was looking at that photos and it was about eight years ago that we made probably the most dynamic change in our church where. Um, for years and years, um, our pastor would just, you know, on a weekly basis, come up with a message, uh, never really stay necessarily on one subject. And so we started coming together, asking questions, what, can we do it this way? Can we do it better? Is what we're doing now the best way we can do it? And so we created uh, what we called our creative team, and we established our sermon series. How many appreciate our series? Um, they've just... I, I think they're amazing because it, it puts all our church on, um, on one topic, on one subject together, and we could discuss it at, at our connect groups, and it just makes for just a, a great momentum in our church. And so that was established there. And before that, we didn't have that. And so there's, through our service, we, we started asking, okay, is, is the order in which we're doing things, is it beneficial? Is it best? And so um, I'm, so, I'm so grateful for a pastor to, who embraces change, who looks for, and he asks the questions, hey, what, what are your thoughts? What do you think? Um, and so there's a shifting, and, and we're constantly iterating um, at our church. And, you know, obviously we, we change a lot of stuff around here. You see the cafe change, like, how many times? But it's like, it's for the better, right? Uh, we improve it. So one last time I'm going to read our, our value of change is our friend. It says, uh, our faith is activated as we embrace change and innovation Every season and challenge is an opportunity for problems to become possibilities. All right. Thank you. So as you can see, we believe in change around here. And uh, it's something that I believe God wants us to be open to. Uh, and in that scripture that he just read about, I'm about to do something new, Isaiah 43, 19 there. See, I've already begun it. Do you not see it? He says, I will make a pathway through the wilderness and I will create rivers in dry wasteland. So he's, God is saying, I'm about to change the situation. 
I'm about to change the circumstances. In other words, what you see or what you don't see right now is I'm working behind the scenes. How many know, even though we don't see it, he's working, right? And, and so uh, he never stops. He never stops working. We sing that song. God is working already. Well, when we see a barrier, God sees a miracle. When we think that there's no way through, he said, I'm making a pathway, even where it looked like a wilderness and a, a forest that you can't get through. He goes, I'm making a, a road so that you can go through it. He said, I'm going to provide water. I'm going to provide a river where you think there is a desert. So God can change any situation. God could change any person, any circumstances, because with God, you're never stuck. I said, with God, you're never stuck. And you have to learn how to embrace the change he's about to do in your life and embrace the change that he does even within our church. And change is always difficult. I said, change is always difficult because most of us, let's just be honest, we don't want change. However, think about this. The amount of growth is oftentimes dependent on the amount of change you're willing to make. So if you want to grow, then you're saying you want to change. If you don't want to change, that means you don't want to grow. You want to stay where you're at. But if you want to develop and you want to get better, you want God to move in your life, you've got to begin to learn how to make changes. And I'm going to just tell you something about change. Change requires you to make a choice. Change doesn't happen automatically. Change just doesn't happen organically. You have to make a choice. It's not enough to dream about change. It's not enough to desire change. To have a change, you have to make a decision, and you must choose to change. Change has to be intentional. Are you going to be any different now in six months? Are you going to be any different? Are these going to change in six months? Are you going to be better a year from now? Are you going to be healthier? Are you going to be stronger? Are you going to be more mature? Are you going to be happier? Are you going to be more at peace? Are you going to be less in debt next year? Are you going to be all that God wants you to be? You have to make a choice. Uh, so changes only happen when you choose to make a change. It doesn't happen by accident. And so we have to learn how to embrace change because change needs to become our friend. In fact, many of us, we're waiting for God to change us and God's waiting for you to surrender to make the change. He's, willing, he's waiting for you to make that choice. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away and behold, everything becomes new. He's waiting on you to say, yes, Lord, I'm willing to make some changes. I'm intentional about the change because there is no growth without change. If we could use the illustration of a, of a trapeze where these guys are swinging from one trapeze to the next, you always see these guys, they have to let go of their trapeze in order to get a hold of a new one. In order to grab a hold of something new, you got to let go of something old. In order to make a change, you, you got to get a hold of that change and let go of the old. Otherwise, you get stuck in the middle and you're going to eventually begin 
to fall. And many of us today, we're stuck in the middle and we're falling because we're stuck in old patterns. We're stuck in old tradition. We're stuck in old ways of thinking. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.22, throw off your old sinful nature and the former way of life. In other words, let go of some of those old habits. Let go of some of those things that are holding you down. Let go of some of those old sins that are keeping you bound. Now, this is why there's times in our life where seasons are changing. When seasons change, we need to make a change. How many know that uh, all of us here today, you're, you know, you came in, you had your coats on, uh, uh, but during summer, most of you don't have your umbrellas and your coats, right? Because you change as the seasons change. In fact, the Bible says this in Genesis 8.22, as long as the earth remains, there will be springtime and harvest cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night. You can rest assured seasons are changing. And so listen to me, seasons change with time, but cycles change with us. So a season is entered into uh, into and then exit out of, but a cycle, listen to me, can be a time and space where we enter into something and we never get out of it. With the season, again, like winter, just stay tuned. June is coming, summer is coming, and you're going to be free from all the cold and all the rain, and, but you have to make adjustments. Uh, but a cycle is different. Time changes, but things don't. So if a person is in stagnation or a person is in the same dysfunction for the majority of time, in other words, for most of our life, if we're stuck in that, it's not a season no more, you're in a cycle. Think about this. Time is changing, but the relationship isn't. Time is changing, but the resources are not. Time is changing, but your mindset isn't. Time is changing, but your peace isn't changing. Time is moving, but your life is not moving. See, a cycle is a season where you got stuck. And this is why we need to make a decision. Something's in until you decide that they end. Something's in until you decide that you're going to change them. And this is why we need to make sure that we understand that change is my friend. Now, I don't know about you, but how many of you, if you'd be honest... You don't like it when you go into a restaurant and you're ready to order your food and you look on, your, on the menu and your favorite food item has been changed, has been removed. And you said, man, I came to this restaurant to eat this. And you look at the menu and you go, hey, where is this? And the, and the waitress said, oh, yeah, they, they removed that. And you're like, what? I can't believe nobody consulted me. Nobody talked to me. <laughs> You know, I come here all the time. I mean, nobody called me. Where, you know, why didn't the corporation call me and ask me about the chain? This is one of my favorite items. This is why I come here. I come to eat this. I come to order this. And now I'm here. And man, you know, they removed the shamrock uh, shake out of McDonald's. What's happening? Uh, why? You know, I want shamrock, right? Uh, Chick-fil-A sauces are different. Why? And, and, you know, we get into this thing. And how many of us, when it's the time to update your phone. You go, man, I don't like the update. I don't like the update. Or some of us, when it's time to get a new phone, man, I like my old phone. I, I, I don't like this phone. Why? Because we don't like change. And uh, many of us, said, well, nobody consulted me. No one talked to me, and they should have called me up. And, and as silly as that sounds, many of us do that when the church makes a change. Nobody talked to me. 
Pastor didn't come talk to me. Nobody had a meeting with me. Why are they changing that? Why are they having that guy sing? Why are they having that guy preach? Why is that guy over here? You know, I, I didn't like that, you know, and all these different things. And so we have to learn that change is my friend. And so when we get, learn to begin to cultivate that, you'll begin to see that change is good. In fact, from the very inception of the church, change was one of the things that was the initial start. In other words, it's pure irony to think that change should not take place in the church. In fact, when Jesus came, I, I said this earlier, he was the change agent, man. He came and he changed lives. I mean, he talks to Peter, and he said, you know what, Peter, you've been a fisherman all these time, all this time, but now you're going to be a fisher of men. You're going to bring people into the kingdom. And everywhere he went, he changed life. Paul the apostle was the persecutor of the church of God. And then later, God changes his life, and now he becomes the preacher of the church of God. God has always brought about change. And in Acts 15, the Bible said God is trying to bring out bring about a new change in the church and many of the new believers are not Jewish they're Gentile so a Gentile is a person that is not Jewish so if you're not Jewish you are a Gentile that's what they called us we're Gentiles and it came when all these Gentiles were coming to the Lord that the Jewish people said they had to be circumcised man I would have been in trouble amen and so they go hey man you, you got to be circumcised in order to get in this and so the Bible says that they were requiring or wanting all these Gentiles to be circumcised and it became such an argument that it went all the way to Jerusalem where the apostles were, where Peter and John and finally Peter's famous line in Acts 15 says, stop putting a yoke on people that your fathers before you couldn't bear. What he was saying is it's no longer necessary to follow all these Jewish customs or law, it's unnecessary for salvation. How many can say amen? amen? And so all of that had brought about change. And throughout the centuries, throughout thousands of years, there has been innovation. There has been change in the church. And many of these changes have been welcomed, but many of these changes people don't like. And I, I can tell you, 30 years ago, I started pastoring here 33 years ago, but I can remember everything has changed since when I first came and started pastoring, especially one of the biggest changes has been worship, has been the, the media, the technology, and I can tell you a lot of people didn't like that change. I remember when I, when I first was pastoring, believe it or not, I used to be the worship leader. And I used to lead worship, you know, and we had a few musicians and I led worship and, and people, you know, they, they liked it at that time. You wouldn't like it now, but back then it was, man, I was the hot thing going there. Hey, Amen. I was, I was a hit right there back then. But anyway, so what happened is time went on, you know, obviously we had a new generation coming up, people that could sing a lot better than I could. And we had, we had more of a worship group. And so at that point, I realized I need to stop leading worship and I just need to preach, which I was happy to do. Because I realized, man, it takes a lot out of you singing and then coming up here and preaching. And so when I, the moment I did that, you could tell the people that were first here in our church said, Pastor, we need you to be back up leading worship. I said, no, I'm not. I'm not doing that. 
I am not leading worship any longer. I am pastoring and I'm preaching. They're going to lead worship. They were so mad. Almost every other service, they would tell me, Pastor, when are you going to lead worship? When you go, I'm not leading worship. We're changing. Amen. We're changing this thing. We're not going to do that any longer. We're making a change. And so many people, again, some people embrace it and some people don't. And so I love it when Jesus comes on the scene and he decides, again, Jesus is the change agent. He decides to make some changes. And he comes in. We see him here in the book of Matthew, chapter 21. I'm going to read this verse of scripture. It says, Jesus went into the temple of God. And he drove out all those who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Now I want you to understand something. Jesus isn't mad because they're selling things in the church. A lot of people say, they're not supposed to sell t-shirts. That's not what he's doing. Jesus is exposing exploitation. What's happening in that scripture, money changers were people that when you came to the temple and you wanted to purchase your offering or you wanted, not your offering, but your, an animal to sacrifice, you had to use temple money. And so you had to go to the money changer, you give them money and they'll give you temple money. The problem was if you gave them $20, they would give you $10 in temple money. So they were exploiting the people. They were stealing from them. Jesus saw what was going on here. So the Bible says he reacts and look at what he says. And he began to turn over the tables and he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you made it into a den of thieves. And then it says this, the blind and the lame came to the temple, came to him in the temple and he healed them. How many know that's a miracle? But look at what the religious people do. But when the chief priests, the people that have been around in church a while, and they've been when the church was started and all of that, they were all there. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful thing that he did, again, it says wonderful thing, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of God or son of David, they were what? Extremely displeased. They were mad. And said to him, do you hear what they are saying? Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of children and infants, you have perfected praise. So Jesus, again, is reclaiming ownership and reminding the people whose church it is anyway. He's saying, this is my house. This is the house of prayer. And you realize something. He is doing miracles. All of a sudden now, in the temple, instead of being so traditional and religious, Jesus is healing people in the, in the service. Lives are being touched. Miracles are happening. The Bible says wonderful things are happening. People are singing in church. People are jumping up in the front in the church. And they're having joy in the church. Did you hear me? That's a wonderful thing. People come in here, well, I've never seen so many people dance. Man, let them dance. They dance at the nightclub. Let them dance here for God. Hallelujah. What's the problem with that? They're having a great time. Thank God they're not in the nightclub and boozing it up and getting crazy. Amen. They're in the house of God worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What's the problem? 
Well, I can't believe you guys have all that loud music. Man, you listen to loud music in your car, at home, in the shower, and you're complaining about loud music in the church? Man, you, you got it wrong. Amen. You need to change. And so that's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was coming in, and he made a change, and Jesus basically represents the presence of God, and he said, I'm ending one type of worship, and I'm creating a new one. He goes, I'm creating a new way that you can touch me. And he's making an evaluation here because he walks in and he sees all that's going on. He goes, I'm going to establish something new. See, Jesus was always about establishing something new. He was a change agent. In fact, in John 4, 23, he said, yet the hour is coming and now is, 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 is and is here now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father, what, is seeking such to worship him. So Jesus is saying, you all have to stop doing church like this, and you need to start doing church this way. He said, basically, he began to observe that the church had become an institution, that it had become irrelevant, that it had become religious. Instead of being a place of empowerment, instead of being a place of the presence of God, it had become a place that was self-seeking, traditional, irrelevant, and religious. So Jesus came in and said, you guys have made a mess of my house. He goes, this is my house, not your house. And my house is going to be a place where my presence is, where prayer is being done. And this is why people were getting healed and miracles were taking place because Jesus is saying, I'm going to introduce to you something new because this church needs the change. Hallelujah. And he says this, says this about Jesus in Hebrews 8, 6, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant which he is the mediator is a superior, it's superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. Now, what is he talking about when he's talking about old, superior, inferior? I want to just be clear to you. The Old Testament, the word testament means covenant. So this was an old covenant, it said. A covenant is a solemn agreement. He said, I'm establishing a new covenant. It's a revised version. It's a changed version based on better promises. Can you say Amen. He said, the values are no different, but the promises are better. And he said, I want you now to embrace a new covenant. I want you now to hold on to this covenant. He said, if the old one was good enough, there would be no need for a new one. But God is making a revision. Did you hear me? Amen. Sometimes God wants to revise his church. Sometimes God wants to change some things. And when Jesus came, he established something new. He said, now, when you go before God, see, in the Old Testament, when you sin, you had to bring an offering, and you had to come to a priest, and then that priest would present that offering to, for you, and that's how you would be forgiven. But Jesus is saying, hey, now that I've come, you don't need to present an offering to a priest. In fact, you don't need a priest any longer because I'm the high priest. You can come directly to me, and I'll forgive you, and I'll change your life around. That is the revision. 
So it was an ending of an old expression of getting a hold of God and now a new expression in relating to God. He has to remind us over and over that he's the owner, we're only the stewards. Can you say amen? God owns the house. We are just stewards in the house. It is to be presence driven. It is to be present. It was to be driven by the presence of God. And many times, believe it or not, there are some churches that have kicked out God. There are some churches that refuse to change anything. And what reason is, if they've taken ownership when they're just stewards. See, you cannot be a, 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 you cannot come into God's house and start saying you're the owner when he's the owner. Right? And see, when, when you're the owner, you start setting rules. And you start saying, this is the way we're going to do it. And we're not changing this. And we're not changing that. These are the rules. These are, who made you the owner? God's the owner. Right? And you say, how many, how many of you have a house? Somebody comes over to your house and says, I'm going to move your furniture around. Say, hold on a second. This is my house. This is my house. And it's the same when we come to God's house. You can't start moving things around just the way you want to. Amen. This is God's house. This is the way he's doing it, right? And he said, my house, it should be a house of prayer, but you made it a den of thieves. You're trying to steal my house away from me. It don't belong to you. That's what God's saying. And so we're saying today, again, I'm encouraging you today to realize that God is in charge. This is God's house. And uh, many of things that God does, he's innovating and changing. Uh, Amen. Uh, He's updating. uh, And there's a lot of things we're doing in our church today. We don't want to be an old relic. Can you say amen? amen? We don't want to die an old soul. I remember when we first came in, it was kind of a philosophy. We never preached it, but we kind of had it. It became a culture that we, we didn't even realize till later. And I'm, I'll explain it to you. Basically, when you came into the church, we would say, you have to believe first. We didn't say it, but we kind of felt it. Believe it. Believe in God. And then after you believe, you'll start behaving. You'll start doing the right thing. And by, after you behave, you'll start you'll start basically, you'll belong. So you believe, you behave, and then you belong. I realized that that's not the way God works. And so we begin to change it, and we became our culture. When you come into this church, you belong already. You belong here. You, say, I, you may say, I just started coming here. You belong here. We want you to understand and feel like you belong, and we want to tell you, you do belong here. And then we pray that if you don't know God, that you'll start believing that you'll start believing in God, that somehow that faith will get turned on in your heart. And then after you start believing, you're going to begin to behave. You're going to begin to see a change in your life. And after you behave, you'll become all God wants you to be. You'll become everything that God wants you to be. Now, many of us would say, well, how is the pastor that are we just accepting anyone? We accept anyone in here. We don't endorse everything people do, but we accept them. We accept them. We're not endorsing their behavior. We're not, we're not, we're not approving of who they are. We're, we're saying you belong here. We love you as a human being. And we'll believe God to change you because he can't leave you the same way you are. That's the kind of God that we serve. So I, I can tell you, as long as I've been pastoring here, I've begun to see that we needed to make changes and we needed to make renovations. And not every renovation and not every change has been welcomed by people. 
I remember there was a time that uh, we used to have what they call an overhead projector. Anybody know what that is? An overhead projector. You put it on the screen, and we used to have the words written on a, what do you call that? A transparency. And some people that wrote awful, they were ugly writing. And, and then some people would say, what is that? What is that word? And so it was, we would put it up there, and, and the person would flip the song, and the next song he would put it up. And, and I, I remember when we got rid of the transparency, we finally had like a video, uh, not a video, but a, a, a projector. And we went from projector, we went to big televisions, you know, uh, and all of that. And finally, when we came to this screen, they said, Pastor, we, we need a bigger screen. We need more kind. I'm thinking, my goodness, why do we need that? Why is that necessary? They go, we need the innovation. Those TVs are too small. They need a bigger screen. We need some more lighting in here. And, and I, I began to really realize, you know what? We have to make some changes. See, no generate. there's not a certain generation that owns the church. We are a generational church. And so there's not one generation that owns the church, okay? If we're not a young church. We're not all that. We're, we're, a, we're a generational church. Did you hear me? And so we want to reach all generations. Doesn't matter. I, I, I remember pastoring years ago, and I had a pastor come. And at that time, we were trying to, uh, we didn't have many musicians. So we, we started having some 10, 12-year-olds uh, doing the drums and, and, and playing the guitar and, and all of that. And I remember I had a visiting pastor come. He goes, I wouldn't do all of that. I said, why? He goes, you got too many young people up there. Those are little kids. You don't know what they're up to. I go, you don't know what adults are up to either. So... <laughs> Yeah, that could be worse. Amen. So I said, what's wrong with that? He goes, oh, there's those little kids up there. I said, hey, they can play. You know, hey, we're, we're, we're giving them an opportunity. But can I tell you, those guys that were playing guitars today, they're pastoring. Many of them today are still here worshiping. They've become great musicians and singers. And I'll be honest, I'll tell you a sad commentary. I've gone to his church, and his church has no young people whatsoever. And I'm not saying old is bad. I'm just saying that he's missed a whole generation because he refused to change. And so I, I, I want to reach all generations, especially our young generation. How many know our young generation? We, we, need, to, we need to reach them. Can, can I just be honest as the pastor? There, there are so many generations. You know, we have our youth. We have our young adults, all of that. And then we, we have those children that are in Sunday school right now. Man, they need to be impacted. And I, I just recently found out a month ago that we need people to be serving in that, in that ministry. That we had a few people drop out. Now, I'm not going to point them out, but uh, God, God knows who you are. No, some of, them, some of them had to, they're scheduled, but we need some more workers that work in our children's ministry. And so if you desire that or you can do that, we need you to sign up today. Amen. Uh, these ladies are overwhelmed. And that's our next generation. And that's an avenue right now. There's spiritual training that these young children get when they're impacted by people, mature Christians that are going in there. They can teach. And I tell you, we need several teachers. We need several people that will commit and say, I'll work the Sunday school. I'll work, I'll, I'll work the uh, toddlers. I'll work the, the nursery. You know what? This is our next generation. We can't neglect, neglect them. They're the next ones coming up. Can you say amen? So we need some help in that area. We need some help in that area. 
So please, if you if you could help us, come talk to uh, Pastor Isaac, uh, uh, Sister Liz, anybody that, that that's involved. I, I think uh, Monique is here as well. You could talk to her and let her know, hey, I want to join. What do I need to do? Because we need some workers in that ministry. It will really help us, and it will really help reach the generation. Is that all right? And, and so, uh, again, I want to talk about why change is so important. This is why. Listen to me. This is why I'm going to let you in on a little secret that I told the 9 o'clock service. This is why I have different preachers come up here and preach. I have different styles because I don't want you to get used to one style. I don't want you to get so ritualistic like I only want to listen to Pastor Omar. I only want to listen to this pastor and that pastor. You get stuck on one style, one way of preaching. No, there are many styles. There are many anointings and different flavors. And I want you to I want you expose you to all the different flavors. So I have guest speakers. I have many of our men here. Some of them, you know, they, they, they have some similarities to me, but thank God they have their own personality. And I'm not trying to duplicate me. Uh, I'm glad that they can pick up the, uh, the principles, but I want them to have their own style. I want them to preach the way God's anointed them. And I want our church to embrace every change and every preacher that comes up. No matter who they are. Because change is my friend. Amen. Wow, you guys are... Man, I love the 11 o'clock. I'm telling you. I was, I was pulling teeth at 9 o'clock. Man, I felt like a dentist, man. Look, like I had a needle. Like, guys, I'm preaching. I'm preaching, you know. Anyway, here, here, here's what I want to end with today. The only way you're going to get changed, or only the only way you're going to change is you got to convince, be convinced you need change. And too many of us today, we're not convinced that we need changing. In fact, most of the time, we're out to change other people. Am I right? I was reading this story about this guy who made a list or a New Year's resolution list. And he wrote this down. Be nicer to people. Eat nutritious food. Be more giving to my friends. Cut down on sweets and fats. Be less critical of others. This guy showed the list to his pastor. His pastor was quite impressed. He goes, these are great goals. Then the pastor asked him, how, how, you know, how are you going to be able to meet all of these things? And the guy said, why should I? The list is for you. <laughs> See, there's a lot of times, yeah, I got the list. No, there's a lot of times we think someone else needs to change, but not us. We're looking at everybody else that needs improvement, but not ourselves. I think we need to be honest with ourselves and say, we need to change. In fact, say, we need to change. And I'm telling you, all of us do. We need to make some changes in our life. And number one, we need to admit, see, you're never going to change unless you're convinced you need changing. And many times the Holy Spirit is the one that does it. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, 8, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. There are moments when someone is ministering and someone is communicating God's word, and it's like the Holy Spirit spotlights things in your life. And all of a sudden you say, man, he's talking to me. All of a sudden, man, that's me. I need to change that. Can I tell you, don't dismiss it. That's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is bringing out something and he's trying to show you this needs to change. But here's our issue. We resist change because it disrupts our convenience. It disrupts our habits. How many of we're people of habits? Have you guys ever had a power outage in your house? I have. 
And then what do you do? You're still putting on the light switches. Why do you do that? Out of habit, right? I've done it. Go around, it's like, uh, there's no power. Why are you putting on the switch on, right? Or have you ever been a person that drives stick shift and all of a sudden you get in somebody else's car and it's automatic and you're still going <laughs> like this, like, dude, not stick shift, man, come on. And so here's the thing is you got to be willing and open to make a change if you're going to change. There's no way God can change you unless you're open to change. And this is why the Bible says that God's grace is sufficient. He can change our lives, friend. The grace of God is sufficient enough and great enough and powerful enough to change and transform your life. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.